Good morning, Grace. Scripture reading this morning is in our book of Habakkuk. In chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5 and read to verse 11 this morning. The Lord replied, Look around at the nations, look and be amazed, for I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. I'm raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. They sweep past like the winds and are gone. But they are deeply guilty, for their own strength is their God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you again for this morning. We thank you for all those we just had up here on the stage, Lord. We thank you for all of those who brought in boxes that are in front of us, Lord. Lord, we thank you for just working in the lives and in the hearts of your people. To give them the desire to protect their loved ones and to give them to a desire to treat those that they haven't even met, but they love them anyway. Lord, we, we pray that you bless the people that were up here, all of our veterans, and Lord, that you bless these boxes in front of us as well. And Lord, as we sit and we listen to your, your, your word today that Pastor Doug will bring to us, Lord, I pray that you would bless each and every one of our hearts, that we may be able to look inward and see how you are changing our lives, Lord. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Before we begin, I'd like to uh, at least pose a question to the one walking down the aisle. Glenn, it's an appointed time you came walking down the aisle, brother. After, the, sir, after Sunday school, are you going to be pulling your van up here so that the boxes need to go in there? Okay, that's what I wanted to make sure. Because if after Sunday school, if we can get a good number of you in the sanctuary here, we can uh, get these boxes out there into the van. Because then they get taken down to Baltimore area. Is that Washington, D.C.? Where do you go with these? Okay. I thought, my, I thought my conversation with Dennis was over. <laughs> well, you're going to be taking them uh, to another location for boxing them up and shipping them overseas or wherever they're going to be going. So if we could have a contingency of you to help us, we could do this through fireman's carry, you know, one box, go just keep passing them out. And, and I'm hoping, uh, our prayer was 200. And it looks pretty close. We thank the Lord for that. Well, I've got 20 minutes to do a 80-minute sermon. Well, we're not going to get through all of it, and that's okay. 
That's all right. Habakkuk will still be here, and it'll be fine. You may remember from our last time together that uh, as we looked at the book of Habakkuk, that in verses 1 through 4, the prophet Habakkuk had questions for God. And his questions centered around two key issues. The timing of God and also, if you will, the long-suffering. He had trouble with that. The timing of God was centered in, as he said, when are you going to do something? And, it, and then he has, an, he has an issue with the long-suffering of God, for he, he says, why is so much, why, can I, why do you have me look at all of this evil? Why don't you do something, God? And, and we find ourselves, and from last week at least, I hope it's going over to this week, that we ask, don't we ask the same kind of questions? We, we see the mess that is going around in our world and our society, and, and we have somewhat the same questions. We're, we're asking, God, what are you doing? When, when are you going to straighten all of this mess out? Why, why do we have to look at some of this garbage that's going on in our streets and in our cities, in our towns, in our communities? Why? So it's, it's nothing new. Now in verse 5, God answers. And it wasn't the response that Habakkuk was expecting. We'll see that as we go on. But when you come to verse 5, God says, now I want you to look and watch. Look and watch. For what? And the response of that is something that causes us, at least I hope it causes us, to even begin to question, what is God up to? He is allowing Habakkuk, and, and, and this is what's bothering Habakkuk. We'll get to that over here in verse 12. But he's allowing Habakkuk to be told something that Habakkuk doesn't like. God is raising up as it's descriptive here for us, an evil army. Now, you may have in your translation Chaldeans. That's no different than the word Babylonians. They're the same people. One sounds a whole lot better, Chaldeans. Oh, okay, that, that sounds nice. That's comfortable. But when you say Babylonians, oh, the weight and I think that's what Habakkuk is expressing, or at least he's going to express this in verse 12 if we ever get there this morning, if I shut up and move on. But the key issue is here, is that it causes us to wrestle as Habakkuk did. Why would God raise up a group of very evil individuals to do his bidding? Now, You've got to put this in context because as Habakkuk is seeing this, we realize that in verse 1, the very opening sentence, not only the oracle, but the burden of Habakkuk. I mean, look at Habakkuk. He's, he's just a normal Joe. Has his cup of coffee in the morning, reading the newspaper, and then all of a sudden, God infects him in his mind and in his eyes, and he sees something that no one else seems to be bothered by. 
He sees the evil. He sees the contemptness. He sees what is happening in his nation. And he's crying out to God, how long? When's this all going to stop? When is it that you're going to bring about peace? I kind of wonder if maybe, just maybe, he remembers the words of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now, I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but it's 62 or 64 verses that Moses is telling the people of Israel, now when you go into the promised land, make sure you choose life. In other words, if you behave yourselves, God is going to bless you. But if you don't behave yourselves, God is going to bring trouble to this extent. And those words are used that we don't like to use, like we like to hear, curses. God will curse you. And you kind of wonder that Habakkuk remembers that passage. And I, if you wish to go back and read it, it's a good read. Deuteronomy, 30, Deuteronomy chapter 28 It'll fill you in in the details that Habakkuk is talking about. And he's saying to God, how long? Why is this going on? Then God says, oh, don't worry. I'm going to raise up an, an evil nation. Whoa, wait a minute now. We're not that bad. Let me put it in everyday context, if I can, even presently in our own situ situation, our own society. What if God would raise up one of you as a prophet, which, by the way, he doesn't need anymore. But if he raises you up, you're reading your morning paper, you're spilling your coffee because God has just told you what's going to happen. I'm going to bring China to the United States to bring about a change. Holy cow, what China... Well. China already owns half the United States anyway. But wouldn't that be the same kind of situation? We're not that bad. <laughs> well, in God's eyes, we are. That's what makes Habakkuk so reality, even for today. I know he lived long ago, far away, in a land that we're not even very overly familiar with. But at the same time, the instances of it seem to have great things to tell us, even for this day. I mean, what would we do if we're Habakkuk? What would we say? And so here God is filling him in. Now, what Pastor Steve read is, is almost in a poetic reading. He didn't read it like a poem, thank God. But it has a, better, a, a very metaphorical description of these people. They are bad. And if you want a history lesson, which I'm not about to give you, but if you want a history lesson, look up them. They destroyed many, many countries. And in fact, we understand that because we read in the book of Daniel that Israel and Judah are right smack dab in the middle of it. And so he's telling them about this army that is coming. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves wondering, why would God do that? Well, there's this interesting word in the scriptures that's difficult for us to know. And we have a tough time grasping it. It's called the sovereignty of God. 
I remember saying one time, understanding the sovereignty of God is like trying to nail tapioca pudding to the wall. You'll get some of it, but you won't understand all of it. The word sovereignty literally is related to a king. A king who orders his kingdom the way that he determines it to be ordered. And usually that order was according to the characteristics of the king. If the king was a good king, then all of a sudden his kingdom thrived. If the king was an evil king, then all of the people suffered. But I'm here to tell you this morning, dear people, and you can take this to the sovereign bank, if you will. That our God is a great king and worthy to be praised. All of his characteristics that make him who he is, that he's described for us in his book, are relative to how he rules his kingdom. And this is his kingdom. I know that, that our arch enemy is the prince and the power of the air. But he's only a prince. We know the king. And the prince always answers to the king. And so we face ourselves every day in a realization that our king, who is good, who is loving, who is holy, who is righteous, who is justice, everything that is about him, we benefit from that as he rules his kingdom. And that's what the trouble Nebuchadnezzar is having. Because now that we come to verse 12, he, he's right back at verses 1 and 2. For he says in verse 12, Are you not from everlasting? God, you're the Holy One. O oh Lord, you have ordained them as judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof? Are you kidding me? That's putting it in New York City street evangelism. Are you kidding me? Look what he says in verse 18. Who are you of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong? Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallow up the man more righteous than he? Why, God, are you sending a totally evil nation to come and judge a moderately evil nation? We're not that bad. But God said, yes, you are. Remember Deuteronomy 28. That's what it is. And when this nation was established... Now, obviously, I am not going to allegorize this and try to bring it all into the United States. No, that, that's adulterating the scriptures. I'm not going to do that. But there was a time in this nation when we stood strong, when it said, one nation under what, everybody? One nation under God. And now, just most recently, in the elections of last Tuesday, the state of Ohio has put in their constitution that abortion is legal no matter what. Even up to the time of birth. We're not evil. 
Lord, have mercy. We would deserve the hand of God to punish this nation. And by, by the way, one day it's coming. The sovereignty of God. Don't we struggle with that? Don't we find ourselves questioning even the word of God and say, God, would you do that? Hey, we're no different than Habakkuk. God, how can you, as holy and just and righteous as you are, how can you do this? Why would you do this? A holy evil nation to punish a moderately evil nation? That doesn't make sense, God. Now you'll notice in verses 14 down to the end of the chapter, all of a sudden now there's this fishing expedition that is brought in. And what's amazing is that as God is using that and as Habakkuk is writing that, you have to understand that the nation or the kingdom of Babylon relied on fishing. They were located between the Tigris and Euphrates River, and on the southern border was the Persian Gulf. And much of their livelihood came from fishing. And so God is using that as a wonderful way, masterful way, if you will. If you want to read it poetically, try to do that. But it's amazing that he describes this nation who now their gods have become nets. It says they capture the fish. And in fact, if you look in verse 14, he says, you make mankind like fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He's describing the people of Israel as, if you will, they have no rudder and they have no ruler. And this nation of Babylon is going to come in and swoop them like a fisherman would use a net to capture them. And isn't that a dynamic picture of what happened? They built rampart walls that they were able to come into the city of Jerusalem and literally laid it to waste. If you want to know a deeper understanding of that, go to the book of Jeremiah and read that. And no wonder Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. So devastated was this land. And so traversed was this land. That everything was laid waste. These people would take salt and mix it with the dirt. They couldn't grow anything. They would cut off their water supply. They couldn't drink anything. And they're captured inside of a city. And without making you totally sick before lunch, they found themselves even eating their own offspring. Because they had no food. They had nothing. And this is the nation that's coming in and giving us the judgment of God. Yes. The sovereignty of God. And so now Habakkuk asks another question. In verse 17, he says, Is he then to keep on emptying his net? And mercilessly killing nations forever? In other words, is this going to be the end? We'll never be back here. Then you get to verse 1 of chapter 2. And I love this phrase. It says here, 
and I'll take stand at my watch. I'll stand still and watch. For I'm interested in what God has to say. <laughs> There's been many times when I've come to the time of the ending of a sermon that that might be a good thing for me to do. To just stand at my watch. In other words, Habakkuk is saying, I'm going to stand on these ramparts of the city wall and I'm going to wait to see what God says. Well, how do we end this? And we've stopped it at a, probably a most unopportune time because we really haven't answered the question. What's God's response to this? But I think there is an answer, and I, and I may be wrong. If I am, then please, whatever, if you're listening to this, don't be afraid to hit delete. That's okay. But I see the issue here. See, Habakkuk is describing the people of Israel, Judah. They're doing this stuff. They're unrighteous. They are crowding out. Even the unrighteous are crowding out the righteous so that there is no more law. They become numbed to the presence of God and only Habakkuk stands in the way. But even with that, dear people, I think there's a greater ending. And the wonder about it is it hadn't stopped. Because the greater ending is when we come and we see the justice of God met at the cross of Calvary. You want to talk about injustice? A Savior who was no sin in him came and took upon himself my sin and your sin. And he died for the purpose that we might have eternal life by grace through faith. Talk about injustice. Jesus Christ, who was hated by his, by his enemies, who reviled, was, was reviled by them, was chastised by them, was beaten by them. And yet he still hangs on the cross. And his first prayer from the cross is, Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. And then even in that aspect, a thief looks at his cohort on the other side of Jesus and he says to him, be quiet. We get what we deserve because of our action. This one, in referring to Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Talk about injustice. Talk about punishment. Talk about the grace and mercy of our God. Because even in Habakkuk's prayer, he asks for God, even in your judgment, God, we'll get to this chapter 3. Even in your judgment, remember mercy. And aren't you glad that he does? You see... So Habakkuk, though, so far away, so long ago, it's pretty relevant for today, isn't it? 
And he comes to realize that all of Habakkuk's intellectual, spiritual, all of his questions are met in God's purpose. And we find ourselves the same thing. All our spiritual questions, all of our physical desires are met at the foot of the cross in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray together. This day has been packed, O Lord God, packed with thanksgiving, started with a prayer, packed with the gifts that are before us, dedicated by our prayer, packed with faithful individuals who served our country faithfully, again, ended with a prayer. And so now we come to the realization that Habakkuk is standing on top of the city wall waiting for your answer. And as well as we, we realize, O oh Lord God, that even in your punishment, even in your cleansing, there is grace and mercy. And how we pray that even in our own country, that is what we need. We do need to be chastised. But in your chastisement, O oh Lord, please remember mercy. And every one of us that are here this morning that has come to the foot of the cross, we have experienced your grace and mercy. And even in the darkest times, as we will see, as God answers Habakkuk, even in the darkest times, you remind us that the just shall live by faith. And when we do not see the hand of God, we are aware that God is working in and around us. Give us eyes to see, a heart to know, ears to listen, that we, O oh Lord God, would be conduits of your grace and mercy to those that come our way. And we'll be careful to praise you because you alone are worthy. And it's in the mighty name of Christ our Savior we ask these things. Amen.